Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 231. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll continue on in our study of the book of Daniel. So turn to chapter 6. During a real time of trouble for the Jews, it's during the reign of the foreign Seleucid ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is uh, being, you know, he's taken over the temple and he's using it to worship foreign gods. And uh, uh, it's, it's very awful for the Jewish people at that time. And you'll recall we said last time that the book of Daniel is an example of apocalyptic literature. That is to say, looking back at a previous time where, in this case, the Jewish people are, uh, were, were getting persecuted. And the author is saying, hey, we got through that period, this being uh, the Babylonian exile of the 500s BC, and we're going to get through this period too, that being the persecution in 167 to 164 BC by this Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, now, um, most scholars, as I said, think that this was written in that second persecution time of 167 to 164, looking back at the Babylonian exile as if it were Daniel writing then instead of at the, uh, at the later date. Uh, and the reason, a big reason why they think that is because the author seems to be much more familiar with what's going on in that 167 to 164 range with Antiochus Epiphanes, he seems to be much more familiar with that than at the time that he is supposedly writing about in the 500s uh, BC about the Babylonian cap captivity. So a skeptic for the Bible is going to look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Darius the Medes succeeded to the kingdom at the, at the age of 62. Well, uh, for one thing, uh, the author didn't even get the uh, order of the kingdoms correctly. That is to say, it was the Babylonians, and then after that, uh, you know, the Persians, and then after that, the, the Medes. And uh, so he, he got those last two kingdoms backwards, which suggests that he really didn't, you know, know that time frame very well. Okay. Now, you will run into Christians who will say, no, 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 this was all literal. It's exactly the way it's uh, supposed to be. And, um, you know, to which the Catholic Church says, you know what? There's a timeless truth here about pers persevering in the, the time of attack against your faith. That's true personally for you, because your attack, your, your faith will be attacked by friends, relatives, neighbors, etc. And it's also true for the church in general. The church is constantly under attack by the secular uh, world there. Okay. So the church is saying, look, if you want to take this literally that Daniel was writing in the 500s BC, we're not going to tell you not to. If you want to take this the way that many modern scholars take it, that it was written in the 167s as an, as an example of apocalyptic literature to give hope to people, uh, and say, which in apocalyptic literature, as we said, says, hey, look at this previous time. God took care of us there and delivered us. God will deliver us again. Either way you want to take that, um, 
you know, the church is not going to force you to take one of those two positions. But the timeless truth, regardless of when it was written, is that we have to persevere in times of trouble and uh, stick to our faith and our belief in God. Okay, that said, let's move on. So we'll ignore this apparent uh, historical problem in chapter 6, verse 1, where the kingdoms are uh, kind of reversed there. Uh, but anyway, moving on, we have this story. And it's a great story. I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it at least as well as I can. But the king, who is in power, was persuaded to issue an ultimatum which is binding forever. You know, you can't you can't revoke an ultimatum apparently under Mede and Persian law and said, hey, uh, you can't uh, pray to anybody uh, except uh, uh, for the king. You can't pray to anybody but the king. And if you do, um, then you're put to death. And Daniel says, hey, you do what you gotta do. I'm gonna pray to God, it says in uh, chapter 6, verse 11, I'm going to pray uh, three times a day to God. So they catch Daniel, and the king kind of likes Daniel, but they said, hey, you signed an irrevocable document here, and so you have to live by your own document. So uh, the king says, all right, well, I hate this, but um, I guess I did sign that. So, okay, you can put him in the lion's den, okay? And so Daniel goes in the lion's den, and he he uh, he prays, uh, and uh, he refused to eat, and all that sort of thing. And God protects him. Okay, and so um, you know the lions did not eat Daniel. And then of course the king ordered the men who had accused Daniel, this is in verse 25, to be cast into the lion's den. And of course, the lions uh, ate them. Then, happily, uh, King Darius says, hey, uh, as we've seen in the first five chapters, the king not only lets him go, but uh, the king, different king now, says, wow, uh, this God that protected Daniel must really be the living God. And he goes in this little speech in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 6 and says, He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. You know, verse 28, again, this pagan king says about our God, He is a deliverer and savior, working signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he delivered Daniel from the lion's power. So Daniel fared well during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, so as we saw in the first five chapters, the king seemingly is converted to belief in the one true God. Now, did that really happen? Um, well, uh, history would say probably not. And so that may be slightly an embellishment. But the timeless truth is... Daniel trusted in God and God protected him. And that should be the timeless truth for us all in our own lives. It should also be the timeless truth for the church in general. The church is under constant attack. And, uh, you know, it's been that way for 2,000 years, right? And the church is still here. So you can trust in that. Okay, now on to chapter 7. Now make a note 
in your margins there at the beginning of chapter 7 and right above uh, chapter 7, must see Revelation chapter 13. Must see Revelation chapter 13. Why? Because John borrows, uh, in Revelation, borrows heavily from the image, images that we see in this chapter 7. And in this, uh, Daniel has a vision about what is to come. Okay, and uh, it's a little confusing, a lot of symbolism in here. But he sees these various uh, beasts which represent kingdoms to come, earthly kingdoms to come. So if you like, in chapter 7, verse 4, the first beast was like a lion. Circle the word lion and write the word Babylon. That is the first kingdom that is, uh, you know, kind of taking over uh, the, uh, you know, the, the exiled people there, okay? Um, this, and then in verse 5, the second beast was like a bear. So circle the word bear and write the words, the word Medes, M-E-D-E-S. Uh, the, the third uh, one is the leopard. Uh, and circle the word leopard in verse 6 of chapter 7. And in your margin, margins, write Persians. Uh, then the fourth beast, which is referred to in verse 7 of chapter 7, uh, you could um, circle the word fourth beast, and that is, you could write uh, uh, the Greeks, just write Greeks in your margins. And then there's, uh, in verse 8, I was considering the ten horns it had, and so you could underline the word ten horns, it had, and that would be a, a succession of Seleucid kings, S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D kings, who were, you know, anyway. And uh, the worst of these is uh, a little horn, circle the word little horn, and write Antiochus Epiphanes, and he is the guy who is tormenting the Jews at the time of, it is thought by, you know, most modern scholars as, that's the guy that Daniel is talking about uh, during the, the persecution during which Daniel is, is writing in the 167, 164 range, okay? So that is just to confuse, or excuse me, that is just to enlighten the confusion that generally comes for somebody reading this. You know, there's a lot of imagery there and it seems kind of, kind of weird. But again, I want to refer you to Revelation chapter 13 where John borrows the same symbols, but he applies them what? Not to the Seleucids as the last folks that come, right? Because John is writing, you know, uh, over 200 years later. But John applies those same images of the lion, the bear, the leopard, all of that as ending with whom? Rome. Because in John's time, Rome, imperial Rome, is uh, persecuting the Jews, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're going to burn the temple to the ground and all that sort of thing. Okay. So you can see how these books of the Bible fit together, right? Daniel 
is gonna we we should see I think that uh, in in when we get to chapter nine, Daniel borrows some imagery from the book of Jeremiah, which we have already studied. Okay, and includes it in Daniel chapter nine. And then Revelation borrows from the Old Testament book here of Daniel, uh, and Revelation chapter 13 uses the imagery of Daniel chapter uh, 7. So you can't read Revelation without having an understanding of Daniel, um, or it wouldn't make any sense. And you can't read Daniel without having an understanding of Jeremiah, or that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, specifically, by the way, Jeremiah... Well, we'll, I'm a little ahead of myself. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. So anyway, chapter seven is all about, um, you know, what, what actually came, but Daniel is writing it as if it is about to, to uh, start happening. Once again, the controversy about uh, when Daniel was, was written. But we do have a hint of, the Messiah who is to come. And we see that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Uh, he has a vision. He says, one like a son of man coming. So underline this in uh, chapter 7, verse 13. As the visions during the night continued, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. So there is going to be a protector, and we recognize that that protector is already here, and, and we recognize the, the furthest fulfillment of this would be the coming of Christ in, in his first coming, and then ultimately in his uh, second uh, coming. And uh, um, uh, what, do, what do we see? Uh, verse 18, still in chapter 7, the holy ones of the Most High shall receive the kingship to possess it forever and ever. So that should be of some uh, comfort to, uh, to uh, him. And um, anyway, uh, the rest of chapter 7 is supposed to give us hope that there will be a, a Messiah. Okay, now on to chapter 8. Uh, I will summarize here. The angel Gabriel tells Daniel in further revelations about this Antiochus and his rising to power. Okay, I've just summed up the whole chapter here. That's what that's about. But one of the things that we are told that Antiochus does is I want to read, I want you to underline uh, chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. Since I, I heard a holy one speaking, and another said to whichever one it was that spoke, "How long shall the events of this vision last? Vision last? How long shall the events of the vision last? Concerning the daily sacrifice, the desolate sin which is placed there, the sanctuary and the trampled host. I want you to underline at least the desolate sin. Okay. So what is the desolate sin? I want you to write in your margins next to verse 13, write 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 54, 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 54, and 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 2. Got to write those in there. So again, we, uh, we uh, see in Daniel a reference to other books. By the way, 
The two books of Maccabees, as well as the book of Daniel, are written, are thought to have been written, by modern scholars at least, uh, in the same almost immediate time frame, because Maccabees makes reference to Daniel, all right, in, in there. But anyway, in those two, uh, why did I have you write those two uh, uh, verses in there from the books of Maccabees? Well, it is said that Antiochus Epiphanes, to show how he was going to give no mercy to the Jews, he, uh, he turned the Jewish temple into a temple to worship his own gods. And it is thought that the desolating sin that's referred to in verse 13 is that he erected a statue of, uh, of, a, for, of a foreign god, uh, a Greek Zeus god, um, in the temple, which totally profaned it, and which is a reason why the Jews had to um, purify the temple, and hence is Hanukkah. We already talked about that. So if you want to know more about that, Look at first Mac, or actually look at uh, the, those two Maccabees references that I just mentioned. Okay, but the the rest of chapter eight just deals with uh, how this Antiochus rose to power. Now we get into chapter nine, but it looks like we're not going to have enough time to really get into it in this session. So let's remember why this book of Daniel was written. It was to comfort those Jews who were experiencing persecution at the hands of this foreign power in the form of their leader, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, in your own life, we all have times when we need comforting. We all have times when our faith is under attack. Friends, relatives, neighbors, society as a general. And so, we are to be comforted just as Daniel is trying to comfort his readers in saying, you know what? We've been through this before. You know, the people of God have been tormented since time began. And God has seen us through the Babylonian issues. God saw us in Daniel's time. We will see them through the issues with Antiochus. God is going to see his people through the Roman occupation at the time of Christ. Um, God is going to see us through our individual problems, and God is going to see us uh, as a church, see the church through all of the trials and tribulations we have to go through. Uh, it doesn't mean everything's going to be great for you on this earth, um, but even if it's not, you have a place in heaven, and that will be great. So that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this book of Daniel and his uh, efforts to encourage us in times of our own spiritual need. We know that you are there for us. We sometimes forget it. We, we, we look elsewhere for answers, but we know that yours is the ultimate uh, and complete answer for us. Uh, help us remember that as we go about our daily lives. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.